What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Mintz. And I'm Jordan Schusterman. And we are the hosts of Baseball Barbacast. And we are so excited to be back recording a podcast together Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for the 2024 Major League Baseball season. I am so excited for this year, Jake. Yeah, we are here with Yahoo Sports. Our time off of podcasting has weighed on me heavy. I've been delivering baseball takes to inanimate objects. So I'm rearing to get back to talking ball with my buddy. So join us on Baseball Barbercast. We're going to have a good time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello. 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 You part to win the game. That's the great thing about sports. You part to win the game. All right, welcome into you pod to win the game. I am Charles Robinson, senior NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. And before I get to the guest today, I want to let everyone know we did a one-on-one interview with Ricky Williams, uh, who is now taken to his own company called Heisman, which is a cannabis lifestyle brand. I would like you to stick around for that interview. It was actually pretty interesting talking to Ricky about quite a few different things. Not only, you know, just his career and how things have gone, the changing attitudes in the NFL, but also the physical and mental uh, benefits of cannabis and how he's kind of embraced this entrepreneurial side and also had a chance to talk to him about the physical and mental benefits of cannabis, sort of the mission that he has embraced at, at Heisman and really the direction of his life right now, where he's going. So definitely stick around for that. But for now, I'm here today with national columnist Dan Wetzel and Dan Wetzel I am sure, given the nature of how things have gone with this podcast this offseason, Baker Mayfield will be traded either, you know, two minutes after the pod's over, 10 minutes after the pod's over, 15 minutes after the pod's over. We literally, I had Josh Norris on for the last pod, and we said, okay, it's down to three teams, right? It's Atlanta, Carolina, um, New Orleans. We'll just hit on all three teams. We'll talk about what would have gotten them, uh, what, what would have gotten Deshaun Watson to one of these three teams. And of course, it ends up not being any of those three teams. <laughs> it ends up being the Cleveland Browns, which is interesting because the Browns were doing homework on, on Deshaun Watson all the way back to pre-trade deadline and finally pulls together. But it pulls together in a fashion where I don't think any single team has ever pushed itself in on any player in NFL history, even with the Herschel Walker trade. I think that the element of the contract here with Deshaun Watson is unlike anything I've ever seen. And there was a pretty significant backlash across the NFL from people who were pissed off about the deal the Browns did. Well, $230 million guaranteed. And the first year's uh, it's like suspension protected. <laughs> it looks amazing. That way. It sure looks that way. Yeah. Yeah. It will we'll do that for you. Uh, obviously, five draft picks, three first rounders. Six six draft picks actually. Six draft picks. Yeah, they, they added get one back. They added an they extra. Get one back. They added right. Well, okay. Yeah. Six uh, six draft picks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever. Six draft picks. Uh, three first rounders. The the literal career of your general manager. If he's wrong, he'll never work again. 
if, if Watson acts up. Um, probably Stefanski. The Haslam's don't care. Um, and whatever backlash, PR backlash and dissatisfaction of some segments of your fan base, all for one guy. Yeah. That said, hell of a player. So uh, maybe it was worth it, maybe not. I thought the way that Cleveland looked at Deshaun Watson as nothing more than a depreciated asset that they were fortunate to be able to acquire and then flip and treat like he was what he like these these allegations never happened. They treated this like the allegations, the lawsuits are everyone's problem but theirs. It didn't exist. They traded whatever it took to get to Sean Watson. They were going to get him. And they're 100% in that he causes no more off-field incidents, that there is nothing else. And that is a complete leap of faith. They can talk all day right. long about homework and investigation and all of that. We know you're not, we, we found no other incidents, no other things have popped up, all that. This is a guy who was a, you know, you can go back and talk to everybody else in his past and say he was a great guy. We're all stunned. So they're going with that. They're putting it all in that this was an isolated thing that Deshaun Watson, presumably you just say, look, no more massage, massage therapists. Uh, stay away from them. That seems to be where you get in trouble. And that's it. It's just a problem that can be put in a box. It's not, this is how he views uh, women. This is how he views power, violence, control. This is how everything else that will then flare up and manifest somewhere else. So they are banking that this is just like, it's like a knee injury that gets fixed. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty wild, pretty interesting to watch. And that that's how in Cleveland is on this. It's like, what allegations? They right. don't give a crap about these allegations. Right. They don't even, they're not even considering them. They're just like, this guy's, this guy's good. What are y'all worried about? We just got Deshaun Watson for three first rounders. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a legal term called assumption of risk. Okay. And, and that means that if this goes wrong, the assumption of risk on the part of the Cleveland Browns, you can't pin it. I mean, look, there's going to be personal responsibility on Watson. There's going to be personal responsibility, maybe on other individuals. But, but if this craters, if this ends up being the worst move ever made, either from a salary cap standpoint, from a roster building standpoint, any way you want to look at it, from, from a, you know, the way you structure the contract, as you said, the contract is just over a million dollars in base salary in year one. The rest is signing bonus money that essentially pays out year one. The, the league can't get at that signing bonus money. It's it's essentially if he's taken off the field, he's fine. Game checks or the game checks are forfeited. But there are a couple of different things in play here that that I realized when I saw the full sprawl of the deal. Number one, it's being underplayed right now how much Jimmy and D Haslam must have been involved in this because there's no way in any way, shape, or form on any planet in any universe. Any NFL team signs a player to a $230 million guaranteed deal where the owner is not the driving force. You could not convince me that Andrew Barry, the general manager, was the train for this particular deal. You cannot convince me that Paul D. Podesta, the chief strategist, was the train for that kind of financial layout or Kevin Stefanski. I'm straight up $230 million guaranteed is. The NFL owners of that team, Jimmy and D. Haslam, saying 
this is it. Let's go get this. Let's do this. Let's pay it. So I think it starts at the very top. We can say whatever we want about Andrew Barry. We can say whatever we want about Stefanski and D Podesta. That's fine. But all these questions have to begin with ownership. A, and they're all difficult questions that now need to be asked. And they were always going to be need to be asked wherever he went. What the hell made you comfortable with this? The person. Okay. The 22 civil suits. We understand the grand jury didn't indict. That's not, that's not a, that's not an innocent. That's not a proclamation of innocence. It's just, we don't have the evidence to indict. We're not indicting the guy. Moving on. I can answer that question. Okay. So let's start there. Let's start. Let's what, start. What with made them the, comfortable? Let's, yeah. Let's they start there. don't care. That's it. Okay. That, I mean, it's, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be, they don't care. They're looking at it like a piece of real estate that would never go on the market unless it burned. And it burned, so they then want that piece of real estate so bad, they're not paying under or worried about, is it prone to fire? They are just buying it like nothing changed. They're going on the old Zillow listing. It was about availability, basically. This is it. It was just, this guy's available. If you had come to me, if you had come to them two years ago, or, or hell, 14 months ago, 13, whatever, literally almost a year ago, and said, you can get Deshaun Watson for three first-round picks, and you got to give him a $230 million contract, every team in the league pretty much would have said, done. I'll do it, right? That's all. They don't care. Jimmy and D. Haslam don't care. Their little statements, as I said, we investigate. You didn't investigate anything. There's no, like, you can't, you need to have, like, you know, lengthy sessions with like a a, a, a a clinical psychiatrist. Like you need Wendy Rhodes from Billions to sit down with this guy for months <laughs> to figure out. Uh, you, they had a two-hour meeting and like half of it was Stefanski showing them plays. Like these guys, they don't care. They're rich. They're tired of losing. They don't care about their reputation. They don't care about the Cleveland Browns reputation. They want Deshaun Watson. They think he's going to win. They got something they can't get. That's it. All Everything else is window dressing. They don't care. It is a fair criticism, and I think that is a question. I'm not even criticizing them. No, I'm just. I it's. I think it is. I think it is a fair bit of analysis that, as you said, there was no depreciated asset here. You did not pay any depreciation. You paid appreciation. Okay, you Mm. gave. You bet. Basically, what happened was Deshaun Watson. This was almost like as if he were a free agent. This is the type of deal he would have signed if he were a free agent. It would have been a two hundred thirty million dollar guaranteed deal, which is as you know, one general manager was pissed off, and he you know he's like, this is like not. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like texting me, he's like ninety million dollars more than Mahomes. I mean, he was just like beside himself about it. So you paid full value for it plus picks. So it was beyond. Again, it's just it's like unlike anything we've ever seen in the NFL. And I, I do think a part that plays into this, I, we, it was foreshadowed to me a little bit in, in the Mari Cooper trade because Cleveland Browns were going to pay a premium if they were going to go after any top receiver. OK, in free agency, they're going to pay a premium for bringing in that top receiver for two reasons. Number one, it sucks to say this, but the truth is not a lot of people see Cleveland as a free agency destination. Now, that that can change with Watson being there. Sometimes quarterbacks can create an aura around a team or make it look more attractive so it becomes more of a destination. But pre-Watson, it was not a free agency destination. So the Browns are sitting there going, we're going to have to pay a premium. And oh, by the way, every agent wants to know, who is my player catching balls from? Like, who's your quarterback? Is it going to be Baker? Then that's probably not going to be great for my wide receiver based on what we've seen from Odell. 
based on what we've seen from Jarvis, Austin Hooper. There have been a number of players that have gone in there and has not gone well. It's hurt their value. So they're going to pay a premium for being Cleveland. They're going to pay a premium for Baker being their quarterback. Well, now, so that what they do is they go and they trade for Mari Cooper going, well, this is how we get this asset because otherwise we're going to sign him for maybe even more money than we're on the hook for if we trade for him. The pick made sense, all this stuff. Okay, so I get that. But that foreshadowed Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, as a free agent, doesn't end up in Cleveland. Okay, he doesn't end up in, in like, he, he ends up going to another team. Maybe it's New York, wherever else, whatever market that's going to pay him the full freight in terms of this guaranteed money, all this. This was their chance. So Cleveland looks at it and they go, okay, now we're, we're, we're bringing in a player, but it's not just that we're bringing in this player. They said, just from a football standpoint, let's separate it, okay, for a second here. And this is how we always have to talk about Sean Watson. We talk about the football part and then we talk about the, the legal issues. First off, the football part. The Browns sit there and they go, we're bringing in a guy who, if he comes in and does what we think he can, if he is who we believe he is, he, be, he creates an, a, 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 a certain aura around the team from a winning standpoint where there are other players who might want to come. Will Fuller might want to come here. Jarvis Landry might want to return on a more economical deal. Maybe Jadavion Clowney goes, hmm, okay, wait a minute. We, we, maybe we got something going here, okay? And so that sort of changes maybe the future moving forward with the Browns in terms of them being a destination. So you're basically buying this idea that you could potentially turn yourself into more of a destination. Now, the other half of it, the off the field stuff, I would say the first press conference with Deshaun Watson, all everybody needs to be up there sitting with them. Okay. There needs to be a big long table. Deshaun needs to be up there. The Haslam's need to be up there. Andrew Barry needs to be up there. Paul D. Podesta needs to be up there. Kevin Stefanski needs to be up there because if you're taking him on, I said this, I said this on a, on a, on brother from another yesterday. I said, look, if you're going to stand behind him, then you're going to sit next to him. So when you introduce him, you sit at the table with them. You take all those tough questions, even if they can't be answered in terms of the legal case. Ownership can answer. General manager can answer. Your strategist can answer. Your coach can answer. Why do you feel like this is okay? Because a segment of your fan base, and particularly everybody who's not in your fan base, seems to have a problem with it. Another aspect, too, and I, I want to talk to you about this because this is what's entertaining to me. I doubt they all said bio. We'll see. It's I'm very Maybe. curious. I'm very curious to see how that goes because it It'll really be interesting. But whatever answer they yeah. give, they don't care. Uh, it, it's fu- it's fine, yeah. but I'm just right. saying well, I want to see how they we did a thorough investigation right. and I just uh, investigate well, what I want to see how you line up with this now because you've had a lot of time to think about it. And again, this was something that there was some consideration into this from a strategy standpoint pre-trade deadline. So they've had a whole long time to think about the ramifications of it. Clearly. They were not comfortable pre-trade deadline with the criminal aspect of it. They wanted to know what was going to happen with the grand jury investigation, all that. Okay, got it. Now, the other half half of this, what's really interesting here is there's nothing in the CBA that says the NFL has to wrap its investigation in 2022, okay? Nothing. He could play out 2022, and the NFL could go, yeah, we're still working on it, especially if there's still civil cases. If If he does not resolve all those civil cases in 2022, NFL can continue this as long as they want, and then they can... Wait, and once the last civil case is squared away, however that happens, then they can make a determination. They could say halfway through 2022, say the Browns are, wow, you're riding your, you know, seven and one. The NFL goes, yeah, we concluded our investigation. We're suspending him for a year. We're giving him the Calvin Ridley suspension one calendar year, which is going to eat up half of next year, which is going to eat up whatever, however many game checks, six, seven game checks of your $46 million guaranteed salary in 2023. All of that could happen. So even with this element of trying to protect him or 
you know, arrange it the way that you could. It does not ultimately protect them. And the NFL could even keep, they could still render judgment now and fine him. Now, it would be unprecedented to go, hey, we're fining this guy $10 million, $15 million, $20 million, whatever. That's never happened before. But it's within the NFL's realm of the tools it has available. Now, that'll be fought by the union, all these different things. There's just a lot, okay, that is the rolling of the dice here. And the only thing, I think, frankly, that's going to give Cleveland a leg to stand on here, and it's not even going to be a good leg to stand on because you still have to argue the idea of a moral compass, is if he pays off on the football field in a fashion that repaired the fact or whatever, glossed over, or whatever, however you want to say it about Ben Roethlisberger, the fact that Ben Roethlisberger had a past, okay? I brought this up on brother from another. I'll, I'll say it now anyway because it, it's, it's a reality. Kobe Bryant had a past, okay? He had a past. And, you know, may he rest in peace, but that was a part of his, his history. And if you were alive today, you could not have the conversation about Kobe Bryant without, if you were being completely honest, the fact that he had a past. There are other players who have had a past. Now, some of them are able to move on from it, grow from it. I'm not saying that people can't change and grow and mature, maybe look back on things that happened previously and say, that was a big mistake. I, I'm, I, you know, I have regret not saying any of that can't happen, but it's, it's a lot of work there to be done so, by Deshaun Watson. And NFL is unpredictable. Uh, maybe they get some kind of sign. Maybe they don't. They're obviously counting on four, six, eight games, something like that. Obviously you're right. That's a total X factor. Do I think the league's going to go that hard on them? I don't know. I don't know. They're banking on him being Roethlisberger or Bryant and saying, I've learned, I'm going to put put myself, uh, this, this is the whole thing. Like, you and I have read all the complaints, all the suits, Yep. spend a lot of time on this story. Now, you can go and do more investigating, but there isn't a whole lot. My, I, I think a very fair take on this is it, it did not rise to something that the, that the grand jury or the prosecutors in Harris County wanted to prosecute. Okay, fine. With 22 cases, so many different women, so much contemporaneous reporting uh, by the women that the, 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 the direct messages, uh, the stories being so similar, uh, Deshaun Watson is, is guilty of what he's accused pretty much, whether that's a criminal case or not. I don't know, but I, I think it is a very fair rendering to say, look, they're not all lying. They didn't all come up with the same story. He was, if nothing else, he was reaching out to a new massage therapist every two days, right? Things were, he was, he was completely off the charts on this thing, right? This isn't just some random one thing or, or, or this really, he's guilty of what he's accused. So then it's what, how bad is that? But for, if you're the Browns, you're saying this is an isolated incident, isolated using isolated events, even though there's 22 of them and they're not very isolated, but whatever. And he will just sit there and say, look, you know what? I need to make sure I never put myself in that situation again. Whatever I was going for at that time, this is wrong. I got to do better. You're counting on that and not actually this guy's is going to he's going to act up in a different way. And that's that's the gamble. And as long as he's Kobe Bryant and there's no more allegations, you got Kobe Bryant. Lakers stood by him. If you Ben Roth, they just watched Ben Roethlisberger beat them for decades practically after all this stuff for years and years and years. So they're, they're, they're willing to take that risk and they're, they're banking on the NFL, not going crazy on this. And then as for the reputation and all that, uh, the Haslam's, uh, the Haslam's don't care. 
should Barry and De Podesta and Stefanski, maybe. Uh, their careers are in a lot of trouble if Deshaun Watson does something else. If something else happens, he's going to then really get suspended and this whole thing's going to blow up. If there's one incident with a waitress, if there's one incident with someone he's dating, if there's one incident, then they're they're they are their entire careers are on the line. The Haslam's are have money; they don't care. I mean, we can talk about how bad this was, you know, uh, with the massage therapists, and you can go, well, you know, Robert Kraft was at the massage parlor too, you know, and 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 he's he's one of the still one of the most powerful owners. So the owners don't really care; they're just mm-hmm. going for it. They saw this. And they took it. This is their chance to acquire something. They overpaid. He wasn't going to Cleveland until they overpaid, just like in free agency. They said he'd gone up there once. It had been a terrible weather. He'd never been to Cleveland. He knew nothing about Cleveland. He didn't care. Money. Money solved the problem. He took it. He knows he's got them. And uh, they're counting on him behaving. If he behaves and he plays like he did, it's like this. You you put it really well. Like they just, it, it was a, it was like, when Dak Prescott hurt his knee that last year, and there was the big decision, they're going to sign him. How the much ankle, are they going to sign him right, for? Ankle. ankle, ankle. I'm sorry. When he hurt his ankle, I remember writing. People were there was all this talk. Oh my God, what, this is terrible for Dak. He's not able to prove he's worth the money or whatever. I wrote this column saying this is great for Dak. It's done. He's he's going to get a huge contract because he can't not prove that he's worth it. And sure enough, Dallas had to pay him all the money. Um, not playing and the ankle was not a detriment to Dak. The Cowboys just was like, oh, well, uh, and that's the thing with Watson. This has not been a detriment to Watson. It's been a bonus because an, a, a, a desperate franchise was willing to bend over and do whatever this guy wanted to to acquire him because they know they have no other way of acquiring a Deshaun Watson. They've been trying for 20 something years to acquire Deshaun Watson and they, they never can. So here was their chance. They're in. That's it. Oddly enough, it did turn out to be, I don't, you know, I don't want to be callous here or dark or anything about this, but I mean, it did the entire thing, the way that all sort of rendered out in this moment weirdly enough really did turn out to be a benefit from him in terms of like financially in terms of what what the the need and the the reach of the cleveland browns and their willingness to do what they needed to do to close it um created a situation that like i said i mean it became a good thing for deshaun watson financially i i do want to make one point clear though we do have to say uh he is he may be guilty in the eyes of public opinion. He may be guilty in terms of, as Dan said, some of the evidence that's rolled out in terms of the the uh, exchanges, the digital, you know, message exchanges, things like that. He's, he's, he's not guilty criminally. Okay, he was not indicted. Not even charged. Okay? He was not, not even charged. Not charged. And and when it comes to the civil end of it, he could be rendered civilly guilty. We will find out. We don't know that yet. Okay, so I can we can people can argue that he's guilty in the eyes of public opinion. That that is what it is. Okay, but civilly. And, I, and I've said all along, I don't want to say I hope for anybody to go to court, but I hope everyone who wants to have their day gets it, okay? And that it, that's Watson, that's all the alleged victims who are sitting there saying, yeah, no, settlement, no way. I want to have my day. I want to, I want to go and sit in a courtroom and litigate this. I want to speak what my truth is to the allegations and let a jury weigh this out. I hope that that happens for everybody that wants to have their day. Moving on, I do. I, I don't want to get stuck on this forever because I feel like we're going to be watching. Um, we're going to be we're going to be walk, talking about Watson forever. 
Uh, we, I do want to talk about Baker, though, really quickly, because it, it obviously um, impacts Baker Mayfield. The Colts had a chance uh, to talk to somebody inside the Colts pre-Matt Ryan trade. I do think there was, like, interest there from the Colts. I didn't detect that it was this, like, fast and furious, let's go get Baker kind of mentality at all. I think it was just an option on the table. In the talks, I didn't suspect that Matt Ryan was ultimately going to end up being their option, but Matt Ryan for a third-round pick ends up being a pretty good situation considering what Carson Wentz drew in, in Washington. I think uh, that leaves Baker Mayfield in a situation where if it's not Seattle, and I actually think Seattle's a pretty decent fit. If it's not Seattle, I don't know then. Something has to occur out there with Baker that creates a, a situation where team really needs to bring this guy in. And guess what? It's the same with Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. But I would think, and I can't say this is a certainty because of what Washington gave up for Carson Wentz, which never in a million years would I believe Wentz would have been worth a couple of third round picks or anything graduating to, to higher compensation than anything that, that, that they gave. I would think that the idea of Jimmy Garoppolo getting a second round pick is completely off the mat now. Okay, off the off the table. I would think that Baker Mayfield getting any kind of high end compensation is completely off the table now. Now, never say never because Washington did what it did with Wentz. All it takes is a team desperate. Okay, we don't know what's going to happen between now and the draft, post draft, whatever. Cleveland has the ability to carry Baker for a little bit here. The 49ers have the ability to keep Jimmy Garoppolo in the fold. We'll see, but I uh, I just don't understand if it's not Seattle for Baker. Can't be Seattle for Jimmy Garoppolo. It's inside the division. 49ers, I don't believe, are going to send Jimmy to Seattle inside the division. So I think it's sort of Baker and Seattle, unless Seattle sees something in the draft it likes better. Carolina doesn't make a lot of sense. I know some people are talking about Carolina. I don't know that either one of those players is really actually any kind of an upgrade. Then I, I think it's Sam Darnold and and these guys, you could probably just say it's the Spider-Man meme. It's three Spider-Mans pointing at each other at this point. Like They all seem like pretty similar players if they're not protected. So we'll see. What I like Baker. Garoppolo better than than the other two, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, does Baker has Baker and his wife moved out of First Energy Stadium? <laughs> or are they still in there? Are they? This changes the tone of the of the uh, commercials. You're going to have to have a new commercial. He needs a U-Haul commercial, not a State Farm. <laughs> Uh, you can't be like complaining about the subway tile or whatever, handing out the nacho cheese for, uh, right. for Halloween. What the password progressive, was, what, six? Right? Is, it, is it progressive? progressive? I don't know. Yeah. Whoever it was. Yeah. Is yeah, there nobody moving, wants is there moving insurance? <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants them. Nobody wants them. It's Houston could have had them. They don't want them. They're going with Davis Mills. Uh, Indy could have had them. Didn't want them. Washington probably could have tried to make a move for them. They didn't want them. Uh, I mean, Carson Wentz was better than Mayf uh, Mayfield last year. New Orleans doesn't want him. Atlanta doesn't want him. Carolina doesn't want him. Uh, no one wants him. And Cleveland's in a in a tough spot because they got to get rid of him. And there's probably only going to be one suitor. And I don't think Cleveland at this point cares. I mean, he's a fifth-round pick or something, right? I mean, he's the number one overall guy who might be a fourth or fifth-round pick. The problem is the $18.8 right. yeah. yeah. that they owe. How much can they get the next team to take? So Teddy yeah. Bridgewater last year went from Carolina to Denver and Denver only had to pay 4.4 million of his, of his salary. Uh, yeah. salary cap. So the problem for Cleveland is they don't want 18.8 million dead money as they're trying to rebuild. They've given away all these picks. They want to get the cap off. That's one season, but can they get someone to take 2 million? 
four million, six million. That's more valuable to them than a than a fifth round with arguing over a fourth or a fifth or a sixth round pick. Granted, having given away so many picks, they need all their picks. They need every pick they can yeah. get. But if I'm Cleveland, my number one concern is it, certainly if we're looking at next year, what how much money can I get back? Because even a few million is going to help. Um, and obviously, if they could ever get you know, half of that or, or three quarters, let alone all of it. But that's where Seattle's got to be sitting there saying, yeah, hey, we'll send you a six and you pay the salary. And, and I mean, they cannot have this. They got to cut them otherwise. And then he might go to Pittsburgh or something. So, you know, like they're in a tough spot with this, but that's, you know, this is what they did. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, the salary offload is, is a huge component of this and how much and Cleveland, not great stacking that kind of salary. You know, they gave their self the ability with that $46 million uh, signing bonus being spread out over the length of the deal. It gave them enough breathing room to operate for a bit. But, you know, you don't want to carry that salary. And, you know, you, you know, maybe they're saying everyone will have to carry part of it if we trade him. We'll still have to eat and pay some of it. I don't know. They're going to have to figure that out. But I, I just I sit there and I stare at the, the, the league right now. If it's not Seattle, I think wherever else he goes, wherever else he's dealt, it's sort of like when Ryan Tannehill ended up going to Tennessee in that trade. That was a situation where he had to go in and compete with Marcus Mariota. There was no guarantee of a starting job. He eventually took it. Anywhere else he goes, I think it's a competition. Even let's say it's Absolutely. Pittsburgh. Goes to Pittsburgh, Mitchell Trubisky is going to go, yeah, man, I signed here for this to be my job. I'm going to fight right. this out. He goes to New Orleans. You know, Even Seattle with Drew Locke is going to be. He's got a, yeah. He had a bad year last year. I mean, 17 touchdowns. 13 picks. I think he was like 33rd, ranked 33rd or 34th in pro football focus, uh, 60% completion rate. There was a, a ton of sacks, a, like a, a ton of batted down passes. Like he was bad last year. Now he had a torn labrum in his shoulder, his non-throwing shoulder. He got that surgery. Who knows? Can he go back to the year before when he was, you know, much better counting the playoffs and get 30 touchdowns, nine picks? Like he was, he, he wasn't that bad. I think he was ninth in pro football focus that year. You oh, know, is, he, is he that? Hey, can he, can he get that back? Then you're getting an absolute steal of a guy. If you re- for listen, like 3 Dan, million on your cap. Dan, if he replicates 2020 in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. Then, then he gets a deal. Then he gets a deal. And, and he has secured himself a long-term spot in a pretty good, I mean, that's a pretty good situation. Hell of a he, place to play. I would do it. Really I think good. he's got a ton of potential. I think so, too. I think Seattle makes one, a ton. And, and his numbers faded terribly down the stretch. If you look, the second half of the season was awful for him. Yeah. And they made his – so his numbers were bad. Late in the year were even worse. But that was post the injury and all that. So what if he gets back – again, you can get this guy on a very low amount of money because you can make Cleveland pay it. And I think he's a great risk for somebody, but he has to come in and compete. He's going to have to rebuild his career and, and no one's handing him the, the national ads are gone. The, the, the starting thing, the Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes kind of thing is gone. It's show us what you got. Now he is a extremely competitive guy. He's, he's never been this big, strong, tall per, you know, I mean, he's a walk on. He was a transfer. Like he's always battled his way. What's that worth? I don't know. Right. I'd rather be the big, strong, tall, fast guy. But can he can he rebuild his career? I think he's a pretty good gamble for a very low amount of money at this point. You know, is he overly emotional? Is he not good on social media? Is 
you know, whatever. Maybe he can get you a deal still on the car, on the home insurance. He can bring that to the table. I don't know. I think he's pretty good. He's a pretty good pickup for somebody, but he's got to come in and be like, I don't care. You know, one's handing me a job. Fine. Let's go. I think Pittsburgh would love to get him. Well, we'll see how it, it but it that's going to take a release. Like yeah, Cleveland's I, not trading Baker Mayfield to Pittsburgh. I mean, there's, you know, maybe that that's ultimately one's up, what ends up happening. I mean, Man, you got to eat for I mean, what? Look, I, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, it does. It sucks, but I mean, it's not impossible that you've already brought in Jacoby Brissett, so it's it's you have to do something with this guy one way or another. So that concludes our portion of the Cleveland Browns podcast. Uh, <laughs> sorry for definitely one extended there but this was it took a while to kind of well, get to Mayfield's this point and wrap in the this up. pick it's kind of a big story yeah no i mean it's all a big story deshaun's a huge story baker's a huge story um matt ryan goes to the colts for third okay and uh quarterback dominoes continue to kind of fall here um we saw the falcons brought in mariota obviously reunite him with arthur smith Jameis winston sticks with the saints seattle and carolina already talked about them sort of waiting to see uh, whether or not they address uh, the positions at this point or, you know, draft becomes draft. something. Yeah. Um, San Francisco, again, is sort of sitting there. We're waiting to see if maybe I, I would. It's going to be interesting to see if San Francisco ends up being a situation where they're like, maybe we bring in Jimmy back one more year, which, oh God, I don't know, man. With Trey Lance, I'd be really nervous what that means with the Trey Lance situation. Uh, real quick with Matt Ryan, I just want to tell you one thing I'd heard with the Colts. So the Colts, when I was talking to, Again, someone in the organization, and, and we were discussing the Carson. We, we talked a little bit about Carson. And I did not realize how just pissed, pissed off some of the leadership was in that building at Carson and how it, how it actually related to the whole COVID stuff. Yeah, about him not getting, but, but it was funny because what I was told was it went beyond Carson. It went with the effect they thought Carson not getting vaccinated then had on other players. They felt like there were other players who did not get vaccinated because of Carson and Carson's stance on it. Like Quentin Nelson. I mean, look, there were others on offense. I'm just saying, like, I, I, they were clearly really pissed that he did. He decided to make that choice. But I think they felt like it then influenced other individuals on our roster. And that really, really, really bothered them. And uh, that, that thing, man, I, I can't tell you. I've never seen anything burn to the ground that quickly in terms of like a reputation souring so fast with some leaders in a building. And when I say leaders, I don't mean on the roster. I mean, I'm talking about like personnel, coaching staff, ownership, all that. So um, it's a big thing. And that, and, and you get a no drama guy like Matt no, Ryan, right? That's it. That's exactly it. It was like, this makes so much sense because you're going and getting a guy who has always been organization first every time he's talked about Atlanta, who's always been quiet, who's always been very like he, Matt Ryan. I mean, there've been a few little flare ups here and there, but you only notice them because you're like, Whoa, Matt Ryan actually said something like he has just been the most toe the line kind of guy. And, you know, probably still has, at least from the assessment of other people that were involved in the quarterback market, there's a feeling he does have a little something left, and especially if it's in the right place. And it sounds like Indianapolis checked a lot of those right place boxes. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they treat it as an as a bridge situation to getting beyond um, you know Matt Ryan someday. Two things, two things okay. I want to get to. Okay, uh, Wentz tends to wear people out. Yeah, we've noticed that. Um, right. So it, one of two funny things about Wentz now he's been traded for like forty three picks at this point. <laughs> 
Okay. He's it's really like it's like three or four first rounders, one of them being the one Deshaun Watson was picked by by, by uh Houston eventually. The first rounder Indy gave to the Eagles has not even been used yet, and the Indy traded him away. Again. Right, right. Like, okay, that's pretty hard to do. And uh yeah, so he's just he he wears people out. Here's my thing about uh the Niners. I just want to say this real quick. Okay. The run it back with Garoppolo, they were right there. They were right there with a shot to reach the Super Bowl with Garoppolo. And yes, Garoppolo didn't make plays, all of that. The NFC is wide open. Is it that risky to bring him back? Is it that bad of an idea? Do you really want to take, throw it all on Trey Lance and say, this guy's going to do it? I mean, the everyone's gone from the NFC. You got the Rams. You got Tampa with a 45-year-old, granted Tom Brady. You got Green Bay. Now Adams is gone. Like, there's still such an opportunity because the window will never close in the NFC or can't close on anybody in the NFC. Is it that risky for the Niners? Mm, no, I, I don't think it's risky. You know, I think it's just, to me, it's a read on where is Lance at? You, and you traded so much to go and get this guy. And so the expectation is you knew what you were doing, right? And then the thought process is, if he's not the starter day one in 2023, look, I don't, do I think he's going to realistically not play football in 2023? No, of course not. But I mean, the longer he doesn't, the longer he's not that starter, the longer you sit there and go, okay, so all of 2021, he wasn't the starter. He played one game in college his last year. There's just you're like, man, well, that's when you what, took him. But you here? had a you had a fourth quarter lead of the NFC championship game with Jimmy Garoppolo. You can't really get much close. You lost 20 to 17. You can't really get much closer than that. It took to the eventual Super Bowl chance. Now, I, I grant you, J- Jimmy Garoppolo was part of the problem, but to sit there and say we're going to go with an, a guy who's played one college game when you're when you have a roster that's so close to me is very very I don't know man that might be regrettable I I don't again I'm just saying you know it's it's in terms of the uh risk reward yeah of, I, there's no risk in keeping Jimmy other than your own what you your ego hit that you take because everyone's like wait a minute like what does this mean about Trey Lance what does this say that's that's the question. Like if you come out and you go, look, all it says is we want to make sure that we have a reliable quarterback at backup. Maybe that'll be Jimmy. Maybe that'll be Trey Lance. Doesn't we're matter. We're a playoff team, though. We're, with Jimmy we're Garoppolo. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. <laughs> I just think there was so much expectation on the Trey Lance pick that's never going away. They got to sort that out. I do. The, you make a good point about the NFC, by the way. <laughs> like Tom Brady sitting there going. Hey, <laughs> the neighborhood's emptied out a little bit. Neighborhood is feeling, empty. Feeling the pretty NFC good. West is yeah. easier. Yeah. Even the Rams are losing guys. Like, why can't San Francisco make the Super Bowl with Jimmy uh, Garoppolo? They a- did it before. I just think to like give if this was a different situation, uh, like your Seattle, you're like, we can't. I mean, or, you know, I mean, that's not quite the same situation. Let me put it this way. If it's a different situation and this team was, you know, losing in the wild card or whatever, but it's like. Man, we had a, I think they had a 10 point lead in the, they gave up 13 points yeah, you were in, there. The, in the yeah. fourth. Yeah. You know, it was like they had it. Oh, like, so to just say, all right, here we go. We're going with this guy. We, we think he's good. Uh, you got a, you got the roster built. 
I don't know the corrupt. I don't know. It's it's just something I think will be it would be. I, if I'm them, I'm I'm not. I know you're supposed to like. Well, now we this was the plan, but sometimes the plan changes, and part of the plan changing is the rest of the NFC sucks. So go get them. Real quick here, we'll head on a couple of the wide receiver trades. This is stuff that we'll we'll we're going to get to um, probably further into the off season as teams address things. It's not the it's definitely not the last time we're going to talk about some of these guys changing hands. Devontae Adams goes to the Raiders for a first and a second, signs a mega whopper deal that really, when you talk to other teams that have wide receivers, they have to pay eventually. They were all freaking out about it. And then they looked at it and they're like, this looks like a three-year deal for between 22 and 23 million per. Okay. Uh, That's a little bit different than the idea that this guy's going to make 28 per. Robert Woods gets traded from the Rams to the Titans. I think, What's interesting about that one is they, I really truly believe, and I think Les Snead even came out and said it today, but I've believed this all along. They really want to keep Odell Beckham Jr. in the fold there. And I, and I had a chance to speak to someone who very dialed in with the Rams. And, you know, he's like, look, don't like Odell's. I'll just pencil him in somewhere else. Like there's, and this was before the Allen Robinson signing and the, the Robert Woods trade. They feel like I, and I believe them too. I think if there's a chance that, with Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, and I think if Odell Beckham Jr. were to come back healthy eventually, and by the way, let's not forget they still have Van Jefferson, who's very good. That's a pretty loaded offense, again, especially if you kind of get Odell back as a sweetener later in the season. So those are both uh, pretty interesting. We'll, we'll talk about those a little bit more because I really want to get Dan to this. And we should we really should have lifted off with this, but had to talk about Watson at the top, but my God, Urban Meyer, this athletic report is just, I, I am just like, look, the, the, the idea of bringing up Aaron Donald and calling him 99 from the Rams and not understanding that this is literally quite possibly pound for pound, the most dominant football player in this entire era, like Aaron Donald may be, the best NFL player you or I see during the last 20 years of the NFL. And that's saying something with, with Tom Brady. And I'm just, you know, I would put him in the argument with Brady in terms of this era. You, you, okay. you believe that, though? You believe he didn't know who Aaron Donald was? I, that, okay, so the question I have is, there are two things I thought about this. And, and it's because I know, number one, he could have been joking. Like when I read it, I'm like, is this like a joke he made? And 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 it's getting kind of repeated out of, you know, like, and I'm not going to defend Urban Meyer here at all. Okay. Cause clearly everything in there, it was, it was as horrific as it looked from the outside was how it was on the inside. Part of me thinks, okay, is this a joke that's getting taken out of context? It's getting repeated now just to kind of like get your final shot in as the guy goes out his door. And then part of me also, I'm not saying this is the case, but I, I remember it made me think of this incident. I remember when Nick Saban, I was covering Michigan State football. Nick Saban left, took the LSU job. And afterward, after Nick left, the next, it was like the next day, or it was, it was in the wake of that same day, there was a source, and I knew who the source was who said it, who had said, and I, I don't know if he even went on record. He might have even been named, but I'm not going to name him here. But basically said that Nick was on the flight to like LSU and having second thoughts, okay? And I think mm-hmm. the source even went, I'm telling you right now, I think that's complete bullshit. I don't think it ever happened. I think the source said it because they were pissed off at Nick and they wanted to basically get it out there. This idea 
that, you know, Nick all of a sudden was having second thoughts or whatever, just basically to take a shot. You know, you can throw one more uppercut because you're pissed he's out the door. I, when I read this, I was like, I wonder if this is a case of somebody who's like, it. you know, I know this isn't legitimate. Maybe I'm completely making it up or maybe I'm taking it out of context, but I'm going to go ahead and say that he didn't know uh, who I Aaron mean, Donald was. Who is 99. I'm hearing he might be a problem. Aaron Donald's from um, Penn Hills High School in Pittsburgh. If you're the Ohio State football coach, you go to Penn Hills High School in Pittsburgh to recruit uh, at least once a year. Yeah. And right. Even if you, okay, even you know, Aaron Donald came out in 2010. He was not a five, four, five star. He was at Florida then. But by 2012, through whatever those seven years, uh, he, he wandered into Penn Hill. I, I, I'm assuming someone could come to me and say, no, he never walked into, I mean, but why not? I mean, I just, I mean, <laughs> well, not only that, Dan, I don't Dan, know, man. Dan, I don't it's know. Not, it's that not one even... was like, come on. Come on, Dan. It's not even about going into the high school. You would know normally, but well, I'm the literally like recruiting circuit. What they it, go to the rivals camp, they go to right. this camp, they go to well, that. And camp. he like, wasn't there then. He he probably did not recruit Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald was like a three star recruit. For, but but in the subsequent years, okay, because he was at Florida. Then at the end, he's not recruiting a three star from Penn Hills High School in Pittsburgh when you're at the University of Florida. You recruit a five star, but at some point he's in that school. He doesn't notice. Hey, this is the school of Aaron Donald. They've probably got posters up. I mean, it's just. It, He's not an idiot, okay? Urban Meyer, and I, I've been on this podcast for one straight year telling you this is going to be a train wreck, or like, I've been ripping the guy nonstop for, forever. But he is not an idiot. I'm just not buying that story, okay? <laughs> Some of the other ones I think were jokes. He he doesn't know how to tell a joke. He's egomaniacal. He really believed competitiveness was going to do it. I, I, you know, the warning signs are everywhere. We need a good strength coach. Nobody, nobody, nobody in the NFL talks about their strength coach. We need good facilities, right? That was his big thing. We need new facilities. This isn't Clemson where you got to have a, a, a mini golf course in your football facility to try to get recruits, right? All the things he was a total disaster, but I think he knew who Aaron Donald was. It was entertaining. The guy's and it was, entire and... life is football. He's never heard of Aaron Donald. Uh, well, okay. So it's either one of two things, right? Let's, let's be real here. It's one of two things. Either it was, it's a lie and man, they're really doing what, I mean, they're yeah, just, they're doing they're just taking dirty, the axes. They're, they're doing the, they've got the pitchforks and the, and the torches out, man, they are going for it all the way. Or he legitimately really is. I mean, it, it speaks for itself. Like that's just the most ridiculous thing anybody. But could like, have, what would that be? Said. That he's so he was so unprepared for the job. You know, Aaron Donald was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't I, remember. Though, even then, of, even if he no, didn't, that really wouldn't say that much. But part of it too was Urban himself, because it's like he spent all this time prepping for the NFL. Oh, I spent you know months oh, and months studying yeah. the salary cap. Lie. Of course, it's Urban a lie. Liar. Of course, That's of, it. Of course. Yeah. I, I, you know, we've, we've discussed that before. But did, Let me um, tell you what his, his discussing, his studying of the NFL was. Calling a former player of his who played in the NFL and saying, don't you think I'd be really good as an NFL coach? <laughs> okay, that, that was the research. <laughs> okay, there was no like, I'm going to grind tape. For, all the guy does is recruit and motivate. That's it. He was not running the offense at Ohio State. He wasn't running the he, he it's it, he would say, "All I want is competitive guys. He's a great recruiter. He'd talk to the media, he'd do his thing. That that was I guarantee you that was the research he was doing. Not if I run this offense, will this work? It was all like, "Tell me how great I am, by the way." 
The funny thing about the report, though, to me, what was clearly the most damaging thing, even beyond Aaron Donald, and if that were true, it's extremely damaging that someone could not understand that. I truly thought from a head coach standpoint, what was absolutely the most damaging thing was not even not even gotten getting on the plane that they didn't know about until they read about it, you know, the day after. <laughs> it was it was the fact that the story basically says players caught him lying directly to them a couple times. First about the woman supposedly pulling him on the dance floor. Right. And he says this to them. And the next then thing you know, more. then the second angle comes out. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't look like that doesn't look like. Yeah, exactly. that was a lie. That was a lie. And then there the was also where, at the press conference, he goes, I've yes. already talked to the team. No, you haven't. Yes. Right. And the, and the was, players, the, the one where the players, he had said that he didn't say something to the media, but there were like players who had literally had the press conference on their phone. They watched. Like, yeah. and, and they're like, you literally just lied to us about what you said. I'm uh, to me. How about I was Trevor like, Lawrence doesn't know how to run a QB sneak. It's, Remember that one? Yeah, he, he had that, just, and then they bring in Lawrence, and he's like, "What are you talking about? I've ran yeah, some at I've Clemson. I, yeah. I'm I'm six six. I'm a pretty good athlete. Like Flair, it's a QB. He Flair, lies about everything because he always got away. Everything is a lie. And so here's the thing: it works at college, or it did. I don't know if it would in the transfer portal era. I don't know if it would, but it's all a lie. Everything's the biggest, the best. We're the best. We do this. It's it's he is a absolute just overwhelming and he, he it's shameless and he's one of the greatest college coaches of all time because it worked there but he's not an idiot and this was a terrible fit but he's not an idiot I think he knew who Aaron Donald was that's really the only one I push back on I also think he was joking about the hey these Southern guys aren't that smart that yeah one. I, I yeah he's probably was That's joking a, yeah man still he's, he's a bad he has God, no sense of humor he's bad God, at telling man. jokes yeah that's a that's just a that's a joke man like it just it just isn't smart like it just i mean in this day and age come on man this isn't it's hard it's not, to, it's not a good joke you shouldn't do it um it's not a good joke man like, I, it's, I gotta see it because it's sort of like oh you know these florida guys they have good grades he's kind of bragging on himself a little Ah, who knows? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a terrible choice. I don't know. It was he, just another log on the fire. But um, it is hysterical. I'm the, glad we still have Urban Meyer content. All right. Well, either way, it, it gives us our last opportunity to. to oh no! Uh, oh no! You don't think Urban never done? goes away? It never goes away. I've been covering <laughs> this guy for a long time. I love him because he's always there for you. Don't worry. There'll be more. The Chiefs. This is kind of interesting, the offseason that the Chiefs have had, okay? You bring in Justin Reed, the safety, okay? There were yeah, – I keep waiting for the big, like, oh, you know, big edge edition, the big, you know, defensive tackle, like just a, n- a number of different things. I think it's the Chiefs. It's going to be really remarkable to kind of see how the rest of the offseason unfolds because that was a team that – Clearly, a number of franchises have responded <laughs> to the Chiefs. I mean, I'm sorry, but the AFC West, every single AFC West team was like, yeah, we're going to add a ton of pieces and we're going to make this a dogfight. The Los Angeles Chargers are like, yeah, Khalil Mack, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to, I mean, let's go get a corner. Let's get the top end corner. Let's get an edge rusher to pair with Joey Bosa. You have the Raiders going and getting Devontae Adams in an offense that was already pretty good anyway. Uh, the Denver Broncos go get Russell Wilson. Feel like they're going to change their identity offensively with him, man. And I and you know you do you sit there and I know Chiefs fans have sat there and been like, okay, so how are we responding to this? Like, what can we do to kind of respond to this? How can we keep in this? Because there is an arms race, no question. 
happening around the Chiefs in the AFC West and in the AFC in general, but the AFC West in particular, good God, that division is unbelievable. I, th- I think the Chiefs may miss the playoffs. They have a legitimate concern man, going into this man. is missing the playoffs, and I I'll just, tell you why. Wow! If they don't win mm. the division, how many losses can they handle? Okay, the division. So they got two against Denver, two against Vegas, two, two against games. the Chargers. Yeah, two games, six games, right? Right, right. Two, two against, two against, two against. Here's their non-conference. Colts, Texans is a win. Jaguars is a win. Titans is probably a win. Then they got AF, uh, NFC West. Arizona, Rams, Seattle, San Francisco. Not simple. They also have Buffalo, Cincy, and the Buccaneers. It's a hell of a schedule. It's a hell of a schedule. If you don't win the league, you don't win the division, how many losses are you going to have where you're going to be fighting Baltimore or or like New England that's going to rack up four wins off of Miami and, and uh, the Jets? Or Right. right? You want to win that, the division so you're not fighting it out for a wild card spot. Be, you know, yes. You're not, you know. you're, or you're dealing with, or, like, there's too many teams in there that are good. And so you're looking at that and being like, okay, well, uh, oh boy, we could have we could have nine wins here. It's it's definitely I think Dallas. It's the two crazy off seasons, to think, but the, the two off seasons that I look at, like Dallas and Kansas City, are the two where I'm like, I can see why the fan bases are a little odd joint right now, you know, because Dallas I would is be nervous. watching guys go out the door. Dallas is like, man, we've lost all these pieces, like. Now there are certain other guys who have to take on different roles, and and you know, and then with the Chiefs. You could feel the Chiefs fan base being like, well, okay, like we're, where are we? we? Did we get better? Right. Did we get better or did we get worse or did we stand Where are our victories? Where are our victories? When you see everyone else around you stacking it up, you can't just assume that coaching is going to be enough, that you can stand pat and then coaching is going to be enough to be able to rack up the wins you have to win. Now it might be, and, and I still believe when I look at that division, for my money, I don't think there's any question that Andy Reid is still the best coach in that division. And for my money, I'm sorry, I don't care what anybody has to say. Patrick Mahomes to me is still the number one player in football. So that's that's you know that's agree and agree. I just that schedule is really hard. And if you don't, if if let's say, man, you know, let's say the Chargers do it and win the division, right? Or the Broncos win the division. You just don't want to be in that. I just I would not want to be in a wild card fight facing that schedule. Right. It's just really hard to get to the, 10 wins. The Cincinnati, you know, Tampa, uh, yeah, a couple of those, you know. Buffalo Non-conference again. game, Buffalo, yeah. Rams. Like, God, man, that's just. Right. And, and the, that's the thing, too, with the Rams. I mean, you know. 49ers, photo. not simple. Cardinals, who knows. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, like, are you looking? All right, since they'll beat, let's, let's just say they beat Seattle, Tennessee. Man, that's not a cakewalk. They need to knock whatever. it out. They need to knock it out of the Jackson. park with their draft. And I would right. like to see them pick up. And there still is, by the way, look, you're going to have, there is a second tier of free agency, a third tier and a fourth tier. You can still get some decently valuable guys for pretty good money, particularly once the one, one year deals start rolling out. You can still get these guys. Um, yeah, this is the Belichick portion of it the is, free agency. He, he sits back and take, he goes to Nantucket yeah, for the first weekend yeah. and then comes in and all of a sudden bang. And then you're all of a sudden it's like the following January and you're like, what? Exactly. That guy had five interceptions. You're like, Geez, 
really that guy yeah. like where, where, where did they get this guy except that, yeah except that, for last year. andy reed except for last year but <laughs> yeah that was a mistake well he had some of them panned out. so that you know what yeah. they spent big last year that was their problem he it, it, they, they will be fine i'm not saying the chiefs are, are doomed but i'm just saying the just sitting there going hey chiefs are going to be a one or two seed right um mm, yeah check the schedule and yeah. and and the other thing about the chiefs is you're still the chiefs everyone's coming after you with everything they have right you're right you're not sneaking up on anybody so like that game against indianapolis is the massive game for indianapolis and matt ryan and it's like and so everywhere you go you're a big deal i just chiefs fascinate me next year because they should they should be able to do it but boy there it's not gonna there's a there's a slim margin Everybody caught up. There's no doubt. I'd rather I mean, be Buffalo and knowing I'm probably going five and one in the division, if not six and zero oh or something like it's, right. uh, you could kind of pencil in five and one, four and two if there's a disaster going on or something. Right. The, the the days of a couple of years ago where you're like, oh Denver, oh yeah, we got a couple wins at Denver. Oh uh, right, the Chargers, oh we got a we can pencil in a couple of those. I mean the Raiders. I mean even now, you're happy you know. happy going three and three in the division. <laughs> All right, Dan, that's it. Appreciate um, it. I'm going to kick it. I'm going to kick it to the Ricky Williams interview, and then uh, I will wrap after that. Enjoy this Ricky Williams interview. Uh, for those of you that, that stick around for it. Um, another thing, too, I'm also going to be heading to the owners meetings on uh, Saturday. And so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday should be some interesting stuff coming out of Palm Beach. There are going to be a lot of interesting questions for Roger Goodell and, and some of the coaches. So. We'll definitely have uh, some updates for you and some nuggets coming out of the owners' meetings as well. So enjoy the Ricky Williams interview, and uh, we will catch you guys next week. All right. We are here with UPod to win the game with Ricky Williams, all-pro running back, Heisman Trophy winner, visionary behind Heisman, which is a cannabis lifestyle brand spelled H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N. Ricky, it's good to see you, man. How you doing? I'm great. Yeah, I appreciate you coming in today. I think the first question, I, I, I've i seen you do other interviews and I've heard you on other podcasts and I feel like the first question is always, you know, how you doing? What's the update? But I, I feel like that is a question now that it's a little less relevant. We've We've followed along with you for a number of years now as you've kind of grown into different areas of your life. And actually there was something I had heard and I wanted to, I want to kind of hit, hit you with this off the top. I was at the Super Bowl uh, just recently and a couple of writers were kind of having a conversation about you and about your football career and how, how attitudes in the NFL and some of the rules regarding uh, drug testing had changed and oh, what would Ricky's career have looked like? And I remember someone was saying, well, he would have been in the Hall of Fame and things would have been so much different. And it was funny because to me, I kind of thought, but would Ricky have been happy if, let's say, the rules had been different, you play in the NFL, say, 15 years, which is would be a remarkably long career for a running back. But let's say you play 15 years, you go in the Hall of Fame. I guess the way I sort of absorbed your journey was that in a weird way, the drug testing regimens in the NFL, the, the early retirement, all of that sort of became, from my vantage point, and I could be wrong here, a pivot point in your path, like your your journey, where you were going. Am I wrong in thinking that and questioning whether or not if Ricky had played 15 years and done the, I guess, prototypical more sort of Hall of Fame path for a running back, would you have been a happier person right now than you are? No, I don't think so. But But... It's interesting because, you know, we all exist in 
a certain time period, you know? And so people say, if I was born 10 years later or 10 years earlier, and that there's, there's right. some reality to that. But the other reality is the people that are were born 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, are the, the front runners and the forerunners that got us to where we are now. And so if I was born 20 years later, then I probably would be able to do all of the things that I wanted to do and still be a football player. But when I was playing, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't possible. But I like to think because of what I did, 15 years ago that it's made possible now for players to be able to do that. Do you think that football would have, I know there was this period where you first started to really study yoga and astrology and a, a wide variety of different things. Doesn't football kind of infringe on that? I mean, it's, it's, it's so engrossing. I think over the 20 years I've covered the league, I've seen players have been able to have more of a life away from it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying is that the, that as it seems like in a lot of different ways, football players are encouraged to be human beings, you know, and it seems like the NFL mm. and the sports leagues are starting to realize the more we can humanize our athletes, it's, it's better for, it's better for business. Um, and I think the past is being a professional athlete was so intrusive on any other a- aspects of your life that you saw people that it was manifesting issues because we weren't expected to be humans. We we're expected to be machines. But I think the more we can humanize right. athletes, it actually empowers us to be more effective and better role models. Do you think that, um, you know, I, I look at Heisman and what you're doing now, what you're involved in. I think one of the aspects that I thought was really interesting is so, so much of the conversation now around what has changed in the NFL as far as weed testing and sort of the, you know, not just public attitudes and you see, you know, polling and the fact that states, uh, state laws are changing all these things, but I still hear it so often the NFL centered around like, oh, the, the physical benefits of this, it's, it can be used as, you know, an alternative to other things that can help you physically get through the grind of a season. But then I, you know, I remember hearing you, I, you, you did the podcast, the, the curious questions podcast for a while. And I remember hearing you talk about, um, just the mental aspect of it, like how, how much people might be kind of missing the, the reality of how much mentally this can help, not just football players, but really anybody individually. And can you talk a little bit about that? Just about how, why are, why people seem so focused on the physical end of it, but I've often heard you talk about the yeah, mental Yeah, I mean, another, you know, buzzword or buzz phrase the past several years, especially relative to athletes is mental health. And, you know, back when I played, 20, over 20 years ago, I had a conversation on Fox Sports about struggling with social anxiety disorder. And back then people were blown away. And it's it's still it's mm-hmm. still kind of taboo for our heroes, sports stars to have mental health issues. But, you know, it's we can, we're allowed to have broken arms and, and physical issues. And so when we think about what is allowed, it's more comfortable to talk about how cannabis can be helpful for for the physical stuff. But what I, from my experience is like physical pain sucks, but it doesn't come anywhere close to mental and emotional pain, you know? And I think as people are, it's becoming less, less taboo to be able to talk about what's happened to us in life, you know, our physical and emotion, I mean, our, our mental and emotional pain, then it obviously makes it easier to talk about ways to deal with or treat that kind of pain. 
And to me, again, my experience, the, the mental, emotional stuff is way worse than the physical stuff. And so, yes, cannabis did help me not have to take so many NSAIDs and pain pills. But for me, the greatest, the greatest relief I got was just getting my mind right. How much did that shape you, you think, at that point? I mean, I, I can't even I, I remember I was covering the league at the time where, you know, the, the early retirement the, the initially happened. And it's funny because now you go back and you listen to how that was processed. You know, you listen to what people were saying on Sports Center or what people were writing. And it was like, oh, Ricky's just he's choosing weed over football. And it's just like I look back at that conversation now and I'm like, oh, my God, it just seems so much more obtuse. Then and and I still don't think we're there yet now, but I but I it just feels so much more obtuse now than it did then. You know, it's just just the way it was absorbed, the way people processed it, and the criticism and the anger and the, you know, are are we further away from that? Like, does it feel like we are, or is that just oh, kind of, of bullshit? Course, of course, I mean, we're not like as far as we can be from it, but we'll always be growing farther from that. Hopefully, you know, it's it's just great, and I think you know I'm. We're both we're both in our mid forties, and you see, right? As the longer we live, we get is our perspective keeps changing, right? This is our first this is our first time to our mid forties, right? Our first time, and so this is our first time viewing life from from this this much experience. And we're gonna as we get older, we're gonna keep seeing things change more and more. And I think that's what I love about growing older, is that you know not only things we see in the world, but I'm so much less crazy than I was when I was younger. And, and the world is less crazy, you know? And I think we, we can appreciate that. And I think, but I'm at a point now where, you know, I'm more interested in being part of the world becoming less crazy. And that's that was the impetus for starting Heisman is, you know, in my whole journey with cannabis, the, the number one factor that I saw that was creating the biggest issue for people is that people were, including myself, as everyone was lying about how much they use and that they use cannabis. And so all these people were persecuting me who I found out themselves enjoyed cannabis. And it's like, when are we going to start to allow what we know and our own experiences of life to be more valuable than bullshit, you know, other people's judgments and all that other right. stuff. And that's my only thing about cannabis and, and the lifestyle brand. You know, our tagline is spark greatness, but then I realized you can't be great if you're caring too much about what other people think and you're not trusting your heart. So yeah, you know, my story, it, it manifested through cannabis, but this brand is not only about cannabis, it's about just encouraging people to be great and reminding people that you can't be great unless you're willing to trust your heart. And for me, cannabis helped me contact my heart and learn to trust it. Can you tell us a little bit about, about the the company and at what point you, you said, Hey, you know, this is something I really want to do. I know you talk, you talk to some entrepreneurial athletes and sometimes you hear about the barriers of like, you know what, being sometimes being an, an athlete, particularly high profile professional athlete that's recognizable, has name recognition accomplishments sometimes can get that door open for me. But then sometimes once I'm through the door, it will become a little bit of an impediment because now I'm dealing in a world where, they look at me and they embrace me and they say, Hey, I know you, uh, this is great. This is awesome. But then they're like, but I don't know. I don't know what you're like as a businessman, as a business person, whether you can guide a vision, whether you can develop something. What's that been like for you with Heisman? You know, it's, it's been the same ex exact experience when I started playing football in, in high school, right? The first day of practice, I go out there and, and, you know, Pop Warner, I was the man, 
Okay. But <laughs> the first day of high school, we're all, we're all starting over and you have to, I have to prove myself. Right. And it's not like prove that I'm good enough. It's prove that I can learn the skills that you're trying to teach me so that I can become better. Because I, I think what professional athletes have is we have a track record for proving that we can accomplish something. But it's another track record to, to prove that we can accomplish something in a different area of life. And so I've approached it as a, as a challenge. I've surrounded myself with people who know more than I do, and I approach it with the same vigor and intensity that I approach football. And so it's been, it's been amazing. And for me, it's, it's kind of the flip side is that with my team, you know, startup life is real. And I think being a professional athlete has prepared us all to be able to deal with the stress, the strain, and to keep on, and to keep on moving. And so, I, you know, I find myself like transforming into the different head coaches that I've had as, as a leader among my team. Because the one thing that I do know is how to get a bunch of guys together to, to do the quote unquote impossible and so, again, everything I've picked up from coaching myself and receiving some of the best coaching in the world, I bring to bear in, in, in my companies. And I say, you know, we're going to approach this the way a football team approaches going out and trying to win a championship, you know. And so I, I even bring some of the same sayings. Like one of the things I picked up in Baltimore that I love is they say, no, hand claps or bus slaps. Right. That means you don't get all excited when things go well. And then, you don't <clears throat> when things go bad, you just keep moving. And it's fun because they get, you know, they giggle, you know, when I turn into like give, give them my Satanisms, yeah. you know, they, they, but, but they get inspired. <laughs> so it's, it's about realizing what, what, for me, what I have to offer, what I have to learn. Okay. And surrounding myself with people who can appreciate what I have to offer and can teach me what I have to learn. Is that surprising to you? I, you know, you talk about us being in our forties. Sometimes I'll hear my parents come oh. out of my own mouth and it, and it catches me. And then all, does it ever surprise you where all of a sudden you're like, wait, I hear Mike Dicka coming out of my mouth or I hear, you know, this coach who I really respected all of a sudden somebody's coming out of my mouth unexpectedly. Yeah, I love it, you know, because it helped me realize like what our training is not was not just in football. You know, it's football. Football training is character building. You know, if you walk into any any locker room, you're going to see teamwork, dedication, dis- right. It's character building. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I feel like all the years of playing football, I don't, not only did I become a good football player, but I've have the rudiments of being a good person. And at this age, I think part of my success is the the ability to share that with other people, uh, and to inspire them to to spark greatness. What's the most fulfilling part of working like with Heisman right now, with what you're doing right now? What do you what are you like, man? I when I get up and my feet touch the floor in the morning this part of this is really what keeps me going, keeps me just loving it. It's all of it. You know, I, I made a promise to myself that I'm not going to do anything that I'm not 100% into. And so when I wake up, like every part of my day feels like that. And I, yeah, that's just the way I, that's the way I live. All right. So we'll look, Ricky, thank you for coming. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And good luck with Heisman. Thank you. Hopefully we'll have a chance to have you back on the show soon. Yeah, I'll be back. Okay. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview. As you can tell, it got clipped a little early. I think, you know, Ricky and I were on limited time, but the discussion was so great that we had to wrap it up pretty quickly, unfortunately. I I extended an invite to Ricky to come back on the show, uh, maybe later on down the line. I really hope that we can do that. Um, but until then, I hope you enjoyed uh, the 15 minutes or so we were able to spend with him. As we get out of here, I'm going to ask you, as always, uh, please, if you could, Check out breakingtea.com slash Therese so you can uh, pick up one of the all-juice team 
hoodies or t-shirts. By the way, we do, we are going to have the All Juice team again this year. Uh, we're actually going to have a meeting on that uh, this week and get moving on that. So be prepared to check that out. As always, all of the proceeds from the purchase of those All Juice tees or hoodies at BreakingTea.com go to the Treze Paler Scholarship at Howard University. You can contribute to that scholarship directly or also an additional scholarship in Therese's name at Missouri through Power Mizzou just by checking out our podcast description. So please do that if you have a chance. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Charles Robinson. You can find Brett at Brett Raider. You can find Dan Wetzel at Dan Wetzel and check out the mothership at Yahoo Sports. We will, I think we will be back on uh, Thursday or Friday. We're going to figure out which day uh, specifically, but we're going to tape another podcast that's leaning into this weekend's owners meetings. They begin on Sunday. Uh, really want to kind of get into what to expect out of those meetings, some of the questions that are going to be there for Roger Goodell as well as some of the other teams. We'll also do a little mini wrap of the first phase of free agency, kind of get a look at some of the teams we really liked and maybe some of the other questions. We addressed that a little bit in terms of questions, but some of the other questions that might still be out there uh, for some teams that are fishing around for bargains now. Uh, So check in later this week for that pod. And until then, peace. Peace.